not we're going to be able to find our next meal or whether or not we're going to be able to access clean water. We don't often think those things. Um, we actually sometimes have to ponder whether or not we want to go to a place that will literally feed us food if we pay them a sum of money until we throw up, right? Like that's an actual option for us. Like you could get done this church service and decide that you wanted to go to what, what we call a buffet, right? What the Bible calls uh, gluttony. You could literally go to a buffet and stuff your face full of food until you decided to throw up. And then you could use their bathroom and then come back and eat more food. That's what we can do. That's what we, we don't necessarily connect well with the idea that we could, we're going to have to wake up. We're going to have to find some sort of thing or some sort of way, right, to, to access the smallest morsel that we could actually have and probably then need to share that with those that we love. That's not a concept to us as we live here. I, I, I want us to really map, map ourselves. I want you to map yourselves in a way onto this passage. Now we can't map onto it every way because I believe there is a level maybe of, uh, of earning power that some of us haven't achieved in this particular passage, but the general concepts are still there. You're going to walk up to a faucet today, turn it on, running water will be there. You will not have to consider walking to a place that has brown water, uh, taking the brown water and finding some way to clarify it enough so you can drink it so you don't die of simple dysentery just from drinking a, a contaminated water source. We don't have to think about that. We don't have to think about that at all. Right? So in many ways, I want you to understand we actually have a really great life. We have a great, great, great life. Things are going really, really well for us. And things financially are also going really, really well for us. They, I mean, literally, if you just think about biblical times, even the people that they're speaking about in this passage would look back on us and think we were some sort of gods. There would have been a, a literal concept of, I mean, we get into these metal boxes and we we we... We can take them hundreds of miles, thousands of miles, and arrive in a different place. Or we get into these other metal boxes with these long metal things that shoot off of them. And we can literally be in a place that's thousands of miles away in a couple of hours. Like we have our concepts to them would be absolutely crazy, magical, completely magical. But that's our, that's our life. That's what we do. That's how we live. We contemplate going on a trip and we take our overabundance and we pay for it and we do it. Like that's what we have. So pulling that back into the story, there's this underlying current of passive greed. But I want to pull on the riches and the people that have them. And ultimately, I want to talk about three things. I'll talk about how they get them, how they use them, and ultimately how it will end, how that will end up with those things. All right. So from the passage, we're going to bang through these to pay attention. Um, the first point I want to go through is how did they how they get their riches? How did they get it? And there's two two ways they got it. The first way is they stored it. All right. It says so in the passage that they literally were storing up treasures. Now, I don't know about you guys, but if, if you've had of a uh, a slight understanding of Bible survey, there's a book called Proverbs. Proverbs is under the uh, genre of wisdom literature, men, as we talk about um, what exactly a passage might be. Uh, about a written to what is it genre of literature its style in which it was written um that can help us understand its purpose that's what the men's group is kind of going through how we can um pull on the god's word to actually understand it better interpret the scripture rightly so um, in proverbs it's literally a book of proverbs a book of small wisdom sayings that you can remember it's more or less the idea of the book and it's written as a father might write to a son that's the goal lots and lots of wisdom in this book and 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 as we talk about storing up all right Storing up riches, particularly, 
there's verses, I don't know if, you, if you've read Proverbs, there's verses in Proverbs that would lend itself to it being wise to store things up. Right? Can anybody think of a verse or two maybe from Proverbs that might lend itself to the wisdom in storing up finances and storing up goods right, for future use? I immediately always run to because I like I need pictures, like in the Bible would be convenient. But I need pictures to really help remember things. Okay, really wouldn't like some more pictures in their Bible, right? All right. So there's actually literally a picture, right? And 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 where uh, where Solomon, as he was writing Proverbs, speaks about the ant, right? He says, "Go to the ant, you sluggard." That is literally, "Go to the ant." You, you lazy worm, right? <laughs> so go to the ant, right? And, and consider how the ant works, constantly gathering and storing so the ant can live, right? The moral there is to work hard, right? To work hard and, and plan well. And that's, that's really what the, the, that point is there. And I like the ant because ants literally, that's what they do, right? You constantly see ants. Well, like this morning in my bathroom, but I mean, you could see the ants on your counter, you could see ants outside, and they're constantly making a line, and they're going to a food source, and they're getting it, and they're taking it back, and they're getting it, and they're taking it back, and they're getting it, and taking it back, and they're taking it back, right? They're going to store it, they're going to eat some of it, they're going to store it, they're going to make sure that they can live. You know, if you've seen uh, the movie A Bug's Life, right? They they store them food for winter, right? And that's that's literally the picture he's giving there. So storing up treasures, I don't feel inherently, when we look at how they got it, seems like it's an, it's an inherent evil, right? Isn't there feel like there is a layer of wisdom to storing it up? So let me say that maybe that doesn't start out so bad. And I think it's fair to say that that doesn't start out so bad. There is a level of wisdom you should understand in storing up riches, in storing up things. I think as soon as though you can start storing up riches, you may want to evaluate how much you've stored. You've stored a lot if you're storing up riches, okay? That's like you stored up, you know, <clears throat> a couple hundred thousand. You want to store up a couple hundred thousand more. I think you're storing up a lot of stuff. But storing stuff up, how they start and how they begin to grow wealth doesn't sound like inherently a bad thing. We think retirement, 401k, those aren't bad things, are they? Right? We think, uh, we think having a savings account, you know, that's not a bad thing, is it? But there's also more ways in which they got it. They also stole it. And this is impressive because I did a stuh and a stuh. Stored it and they stole it. Literally, we see that they stole it because they actually, once they had stored up wealth and they'd accumulated some wealth, they had fields. They had workers in the fields and the, field, the workers worked. And then when the workers came to get paid, they actually withheld from the workers what they should have gotten paid. That would be stealing. So they're actually accumulating more wealth. And I think this is an important switch you have to see here. In, a, in their desire to accumulate more wealth, they wanted to also accumulate more wealth. And how that, how that happens is it doesn't matter anymore the ends to them. They just want the wealth. So they stored it and stole it. That's how they gathered money to themselves. But how did they then, <clears throat> excuse me, I can't turn into the mic and clear my throat. <clears> throat> All right. Uh, how did they use it? Um, this is this is good. Okay, and I'm, I'm going to be able to keep going with the studs here too. Um, <laughs> James five three does tell you that. It, can we Matthew sixteen Matthew six nineteen to twenty one? We just read too. All right. And I think it's important to pull on this. That's why we read it first. Jesus actually says in Matthew six nineteen to twenty one to not lay up treasures on earth, but to lay up treasures in heaven. And the key being where your treasure is is where your heart is. All right, so. How did they use it? Well, one of the problems there is that they, they, they remember, we were doing stuz. So how did they use it? They stored it. 
That's what they did with their wealth. They literally stored their treasure. Why is that not good? Well, it seems to be okay again, right? So we store treasure up. We save our treasure. It's, it seems to be a wise plan. But then not only, that's also how they used their treasure. They stored it up, right? So that's like hoarding. But now that doesn't seem bad. They don't want to frivolously spend their money, do they? No, they do spend their money. They spend their money on themselves. They've stored it for them. They have it, but they never give it. They don't share it. Literally, this passage is great because he's, it's again, he, he starts it out the same way he sets up each individual point almost in James, where he says, like, pay attention. Hey, wake up. Go and do this. This is what you need to do. Right? It's how it starts. Right? Woe to you, rich. You should be wailing and crying out because you're, you're literally, your riches are consuming you. That's the whole, that's how he starts this out. And it's pretty stark and, and kind of, kind of desperate, kind of, kind of in your face. But here, here he's pulling on the fact, how do, you, how do they use it? Well, they stored it up. You have all this wealth. You, you keep it to yourself. You're hoarding it. You're not sharing it. Their kingdom is literally being built on earth. On, and conversely, that another stuff, they're stingy. They stored it and they're stingy. So they're not, they're not even paying the workers that are working with them. They're simply building up more wealth. And here it talks about all the things they have. And the third point under how, how they use it, they lived luxuriously. And I think we can really connect with this. So let me pull on this. They lived luxuriously. And that's not a stuh, but it is two L's. So lived luxuriously. Just, just mnemonic devices here, just so you can remember. They live luxuriously. How does that apply to us? We tend, if you, if you really want to pull it back, we all live luxuriously. This is, this is a hard, I, this particular sermon, I think like last week, really is a particularly hard word because nobody wants to talk about this stuff. Even in church, we'd like to not talk about this stuff. If you want to talk about the stuff we really don't want to talk about, yes, we don't want to talk about sin, but you know we talk about sin here. We talk about sin all the time. We constantly would tell you that you're a sinner. In fact, you're evil, and you're, you're a really crappy person, and, and, and that's okay. Not okay that you stay a crappy person. That's okay because Jesus has saved you from it. Right? So we're, you're going to get that, and you know that. But even in a church that talks about sin, this is a hard one. Because when you think about living luxuriously, you might you're you're gonna run you're gonna run to somebody who's uber rich, and that's who you're gonna think about. They live luxuriously; they can buy whatever they want and do whatever they want whenever they they can. That's what they do. But we live luxuriously. You and I actually live very, very luxuriously. We do. That's why no one wants to preach it. No one wants to talk about this stuff. This is not what we like to talk about. Did you know, do you know, realize just in unpacking God's word, how much it talks about our stuff and the fact of what we're supposed to do with our stuff, what it actually does, what our stuff does to us. It's, it's immense. One of the oldest books ever in, in, attested to be one of the most oldest books in the Bible is the book of Job. And it's literally about a guy who had a ton of stuff and then had it completely taken away. Our stuff is something that is so central to us. And God knows it, that he, built, he literally builds off of what we have to show us that he is what we need. All right. So these, these, rich, these rich people, they're living luxuriously. We know this because it says you, they, had, they had these fine garments. They had gold. They had silver. But ultimately what he says is 
all of those things are going to your gold is going to rust your 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 silver is going to rust your garments will become moth-written they will become eaten all these things will fall away but that's how they live they lived in decadence and when james um when james writes this we'll see that literally in a couple of verses james is writing this with an idea that the end is coming that god will judge you one day and this is what you have this is how you've lived um so if we look at luke 12 15 we're gonna look at both luke 12 15 and first timothy 5 3 through 6 Luke 12 15 says this and he said to them take care and be on guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions Jesus here wants, wants to understand that you can look and want and desire, but your life cannot be summed up in the abundance of the stuff you have. That is not where your life is found. We live so luxuriously. All right, so who here, let's just, I'm just going to point this out. It's going to be simple. Who here has more, what should we start with? Who here has more clothing than they need? This is literally where we can actually show our hands. Who here has more clothing than they need? All right. Some of you, I feel, might be lying because, or just lazy. If you're so lazy, you can't put your hand up in church. I don't know what to tell you. All right. All right. Who here has more shoes than the days in the week? Not individual shoes. Make them a pair. Okay. I'm like, I have, I have eight shoes. No. If you have more pairs of shoes than days in the week, all right, then you have more shoes then you really need. You're like, well, I have shoes for different reasons. Okay. <laughs> What's that tell you? You have shoes for different, you literally have shoes. I have shoes specifically designed for certain things and I'm not going to wear them for anything else but then that things. Okay. Who here at, at the place that they, that you live or stay has more food than will feed you for today? All right. Who here has more food than will feed them for today and tomorrow? Today, tomorrow, and Monday. And that's tomorrow, Tuesday, Tuesday, you know. All right, so if you see, I just want you to show, you live very, very luxuriously. You literally, this is what's amazing, you have everything described in this passage, right? He said, James tells him in James 5, you, your, your, your grain will rot. That's because they have more grain, then they need personally, they can store it up just like you have more food, right? He tells them that their, their garments will become ridden with moths, right? You, that, same thing. You have way more clothes than you need. I want you to feel the weight of the fact that you live luxuriously. Now, some of you may or not may, may or may not be more or more or less wise with your finances. So I didn't just start there, right? So I could say, who here, right? I could have said, like, who here has more money, if I'd said something like more money than debt, that would have been, that probably would have been bad, right? Because our, our we just look a little bit differently as debt, debt in this culture. That's a different thing. I, I mean, so like you have fluid debt, you have good debt, you have negative debt, right? So there's just, debts are different in our culture. Um, that in of itself should tell you something. That's not how their culture worked, right? Most of us, like for most of us to have lived back then, we would all be indentured servants. We would be completely owing to someone and having to pay them. Like think about your credit card, right? But that's not how our that's not how it works. Literally, you give people jobs by having a credit card. So you create jobs by being in debt, all right? So you create. It's, it's funny. It's funny how this this system works differently than their system, right? I'm not saying capitalism is, is worse or better than that. I'm saying it seems to work pretty well for us, but at the same time, be wise with your money, all right? So I can start there. 
But the reason you have all those things and can afford them is because you found a way to maximize your financial situation to the point where you can afford these things by taking out small incremental loans and paying them back in certain ways that eventually you'll pay them off when you're old enough, when you finally pay them off. I would encourage you to pay them off sooner because what they're counting on is you take your time and they're going to make interest off you. The point here being, we live very luxuriously. And I'm going to throw this out here. We can ask questions and talk about it. I might submit to you that if you were to open God's word, it would say in almost certain terms that living luxuriously can lead you easily to sin. That living in luxury, all right, I, I'm literally, because I just, I just like to, to keep the consonants going, living in luxury leads to a life, that's too many L's, all right, <laughs> no. living in luxury can, can, is, is just, it's literally the slippery slope that leads you to sin. You are sliding down luxurious life into literally a pool of your own sin and desire. And so and now now here at this point, so you're thinking, wait, isn't it possible, right, that God that to, to have a lot of money, right, and still do good? Is it not possible to have riches and be good? Yes, but the difference is how do you live? It's difficult. It's difficult to be righteous and rich. There's a difficulty there because in being it wealthy, you have a lot of money, and so you can have a lot of stuff. But to be righteous with your money, you can't have a lot of stuff. Like, well, you can't tell me I can't have a lot of stuff. <laughs> no, I don't want to tell you you can't have a lot of stuff. I, I would encourage you to think about what God would tell you to have. Well, I believe God told me that I needed a giant jet to fly around the world and tell everybody about Jesus. Okay. Sure. That sounds right. That's what God needs from you. Really? Is that really what God needs from you? Do you need a lot? No, you don't need a lot. There is an old Quaker proverb uh, that would say, tell me what you need to live. Actually, tell me what you think you need to live, and I will tell you how you can live without it. We don't need a lot. And so to be righteous rich is difficult because God would say, you don't need, you don't need these things but you have the means to get them. What should you instead use your means for? Stop building your kingdom. Remember, where your treasure is is where your heart is. If any if any church from, let's say, circa 200 AD, any church community from circa 200 AD to circa 1290, looked at our church right here in this dance studio, right? Just, they would say, just looking at us right now, they would think, guys, you have built yourselves a massive and powerful kingdom here on earth. I don't know that you would know what it's like to build the kingdom of God. That's, that's what they would say. You have no concept of building the kingdom of God. Look at the kingdom you have built to yourself. Me too. I'm, I'm part of it. We're part of the, I'm part of this community. I mean, just let that sink in. 
as we sit here, even on this current time in this globe, there are church communities whose major concern is not dying for their faith. We sit here, half of you still glazed over pondering what you're going to eat for lunch. That's what we, that's our kingdom. And Jesus says, if that's where your heart is, that's where your treasure is. And in that, all right, so I'm going Living luxurious, First Timothy 5, 3 through 6, I don't want to lose it. This is great. You could be like, how does this apply? It totally applies. Ready? This is a great passage. It says this, honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. It gets, it gets great, though. Sure, she who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God, and continues in supplications and prays night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. That got dark really fast. Here, here, here in Timothy, Paul is saying they had a problem with widows. The widows wid- people would be widowed and they would come to the church and the church would, because the church's goal was to build the kingdom of God, they would give and give and give to those needy. All right, that's literally the, the thing the church has lost in America has that particular concept. We give ish to the needy. That's what we do. We give ish to the needy. We don't, not, not ish, like a thing. It's give ish. Like, I was, a, that was, I just realized in our culture, ish being its own word, that was a mistake. <laughs> we'll talk about that at the elder reading, I guess. <laughs> we kind of give to the needy. There we go. We'll change that around. We should edit that and edit that in post, as they say. All right. So we, we kind of give to the needy as the church, right? They would give and give and sacrifice and sell and get finances to take care of the needy. And so they would take care of the widows. And here he says, if there is a widow who's truly a widow, then then let her live in prayer and supplication to God. If she has children, if she has grandchildren, if she has family, let her go to that family. Let that family do what God has called them to do, to care for her so that she can be cared for. And if she is truly a widow and she lives in your, she has nobody to take care of her, then, then she can she can live through prayer and supplication, talking to God about her needs, and the church family can meet those needs. That's fine. But if she is self-indulgent, she is dead already, though she live. Whoa. Paul kind of really was like, this is how you handle widows, unless they're self-indulgent. Then they're literally the walking dead. Because here what he says, if she's self-indulgent, if she has family that she comes to get simply so she can have, then her desires have consumed her, and she is not righteous, and she is living in sin. She is dead, though she is alive. That's what it's like to be living luxuriously. You can't even, we don't even see it. We can't even see it. Like, all right, you know the things I like because you know the things I have. You know the things I like because you know the things I have too much of. And we all have too much of things. And most of them are really stupid. We live luxuriously. Now, I'm, I'm simply pointing out sin yet. I haven't told you what God has called you to actually do. This is, this is hard enough to wrap your mind around. I mean, six verses of James 5, and he is pulling on literally the thing that we, we spend our time building, doing, creating, finding, buying, having. I dare say living luxuriously in and of itself could be indeed sinful. 
So questions are fine and questions can abound. And I think we can talk about this in our community group. When we talk about this, when I say luxurious living is sin, I want you, and you say, and you're going to say, isn't it possible to live luxuriously and not sin? I just want you to remember that we're always going to end on the scripture. So just remember that when you ask that question and then wonder if you really want to talk about all the scriptures that tell you how you should live with the stuff you have. Just think about it before you ask it, before you hashtag it, hashtag AskMDNJ on Twitter. <laughs> Do you really want the answer to that question? <laughs> all right. Um, ultimately, though, how will all this stuff, the stuff that they have accumulated, the way that they have accumulated it, right? The, how they got it, how they use it, all these things that these ha- they have in this passage in James, how does it end? All right, so last, uh, last point under the, for the James 5 passage, how will it end? The, the, the first thing is that it will be corrupted out and in. This is great in James 5. Again, this is a dark little passage here. This is a dark little, deep little passage. He literally says it will be corrupted out and in. Now, how will it be corrupted out and in? Literally, he says corrupted out. All those things will literally corrupt themselves. Just like in Matthew uh, 6, we read from Jesus' lips. All those things will be corrupted right? Their garments will become destroyed. Their gold will will rust and rot away. Decay and corruption will come into their things. That's what happens on the out. But then literally in the same passage, it says it will be corrupted on the inside, right? And it says, it says literally, you will, your flesh will be consumed with fire. A fire, really, it starts small and then grows. Literally from the out inside out, it will consume you. This, this living, this stuff that you have will literally burn you and eat you alive. Now, those, that just came from the, first, the verses we read in James 5. So you want to go back and read those again. I'm telling you, they're, they're, it, that's all that's there. That's what these things will do to you. First Timothy 6.17 does have an application to this. So looking at First Timothy 6.17, it says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Now, if you were to read this verse and just to pull on different pieces of it, it sounds like, wait, God has provided us with everything to enjoy. Well, I think in order for me to enjoy, I could use a lot of stuff and I could use some luxuries. But here specifically, he says the rich people that should be able to access these rich luxuries shouldn't be proud and shouldn't base their their hope, their future on the uncertainty of those things because God brings the certainty and they should actually lean on God, right, to provide the things that they enjoy. In our passage, and as we see largely in how we get and gather stuff ourselves, what we understand is we get and gather stuff not to provide us joy to live in the glory of God, rather to provide us whatever what means we want. We see the things that we do and acquire as means to end and then use them how we would like. That will corrupt literally the things that you have. We read last week, I don't know if you remember, in Luke, I want to say 12, but uh, I'm not going to say <laughs> it has to be. We literally read the passage, right, where it, he, um, he, he said, I lost it, lost train of thought totally there. That's so sad. Anyway, which, well, uh, it'll come to me later. <laughs> Literally, that they will be corrupted in and out. So the things that you have, they will not bring lasting joy, and they will be, ah, got it. They will not be yours, right? Like, 
he said, he said, remember that there was a man who had a field and he worked a field and he stored all that stuff up for him. And, and when he had stored it all up, he, he built new home. He built new grain, bar, barns to store all of his grain. And then the next day he died, right? And his, it said his soul was required of him. The point being that all the stuff you, you can, you place your, your, it's not even going to be yours. Like one day, like you could die tomorrow and not have, be able to spend any of the stuff you have. Or sadly for someone, all the debt you have is going to be acquired by someone else, right? That, that reality is true. All the stuff you have, you won't, you, you'll be dead. You won't be able to wear the clothes, put on the shoes, drive the car, eat the food, live in the house. All of it's gone. And so to place your hope in this uncertainty, he says, is obviously foolish. You need to place your hope in God who will provide everything you need to enjoy life, which is a wonderful truth. Um, so as it corrupts outside, it also corrupts inside. Those things corrupt the character of the people that have it. They make you want more stuff. We don't, like, none of you, none of, none of us have gotten the thing and been like, finally, I got the thing and I don't need anything else. If you said that, you said it for maybe five minutes until you thought about the next thing that you needed. It begins to corrupt on the inside. And actually here, and James says, it will consume you. It will consume you all the way out to your flesh like a fire. All right. So that's not, that's not depressing. Uh, not only, if that wasn't depressing enough, not only does it, lead, does it corrupt, but it leads to missed opportunities. And that's, that's our last point from this particular section of Scripture. It leads to missed opportunities. So James 5, 8 through 9, like I said in a couple, a couple of verses from now, James has this long-term view that he's looking at that one day God is coming to judge. We don't live that way, but this is how James was thinking as he's writing. He says, you also, which we'll get to this section next week, you also be patient, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. His view here is that God is coming and he will judge. Don't waste your time with these things. God is coming and he will judge. Judgment, brother, we could have another great discussion on that. You can you can hashtag ask questions about that. Uh, there are there are Two separate judgments that we know, the way a person that's in Christ will be judged, the way a person that is outside Christ will be judged. Those are two different judgments. But no, what, is, what is absolutely true is you will be judged for how you lived your life. If you are in Christ, you'll be judged how you lived your life for Christ. Absolutely. And so here, there, there's, there's this idea that either going, there's going to be missed opportunities. So remember, I have to think back to James chapter 2. I don't. I didn't put this in. I don't believe. So don't try to find James chapter two's scripture. James chapter two. You'll remember he was he was literally speaking about. Uh, I started. He started James chapter two off with a story about how a rich man will come into the congregation and and the, and you will you will actually give him more credence than you will the poor man that comes in the congregation. You'll 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 give him the nice seat. You'll take care of him better because you you view people wrongly. You judge them based upon what they have and who they are and what they can do for you or for the church. You base that on their stuff and that's wrong. Instead, you should care for the poor. That rich person that comes in should be immediately pointed to someone they can love with the stuff that they have. And so here, particularly, he speaks about missed opportunities because they have all the stuff and they don't do anything with it. They got it by storing it up, right? And what do they do with it? They store it up some more. They don't use it for good and glorious things. By the way, that's how you can be righteous and rich. You don't live luxuriously. Instead, you take all the stuff that God, God's stuff that he gives to you on loan, right? 
one day he'll get it. He gets it all back. It doesn't matter. You're not even going to have it for what? More than 90 years. He gives you this stuff on loan and to be righteous and rich, you use it to give to the needy. That's, that's it. It's long and short. But all of us have extra stuff. We have money we have not yet spent. Now we could spend it on our debt, but we know we're going to save it instead and spend it on something else. We never save up. <laughs> we very rarely, some of us do at times. We don't always, we're more, we're more likely not to save it up to spend on our debt. We're more likely to let our debt ride as we can slowly pay that off and instead save up to acquire something else that we want. But he says, no, if you have extra, you should be giving it to someone who needs it. In our culture, we're so cynical. If I give it to them, they're just going to waste it. Why would I give it to them? And Jesus says, doesn't matter. That's on them. It's on you to give it. All right. That's this passage. So I hope you're all uplifted and feel, feel joyous about having so much stuff that you should definitely not have and probably take care of that this afternoon. I'm assuming you all will, as God has spoken in his word. But maybe not. So let me give you two stories to help maybe really drive this home. <laughs> We're going to, I'm not, I'm not teaching on these passages. I want you to read them, hear them. We're going to take them in together. All right. So you're not getting three sermons today. That was, that's the content of the sermon. All right. Basically you have too much stuff. You're greedy and selfish. It's going to corrupt your flesh. You should really get rid of it to the people that need it. Just going to leave that there. All right. Maybe make this, let's really bring it practical. Maybe if that hasn't impacted you yet. Two passages uh, from the lips, two, two stories, one about um, one, one a situation that happened to Jesus and, and then one that is literally from the lips of Jesus' mouth as teaching for us to understand. So let me give these two to you and then we'll link them together in one thought. So again, the title this week was The Sad Young Ruler and the Rich Dead Guy. And we have not yet talked about a young, sad young ruler or a rich dead guy yet. So I think we should, we should do that. Mark 10, 17 to 27 is the story of our sad young ruler. So I'm going to read that. We're going to read that with me. I love this particular passage. I love both these stories. These are two of my favorite stories in the Bible for what they've, what they've, what I've, what they've actually taught me over the years. Not so much as the immediate impact of, of the story, but what, they, what they've actually pulled on me. Uh, through my life. So here's, here's Mark uh, 10, 17 says this. And as he was setting out on his journey, that's Jesus. All right. A man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Here's this, here's the, here's this man's response. He says, he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept 